very uh, afraid uh, that that was the case. And then and we also saw the courage of John. And what was he cour courageous enough to do? He was courageous enough to go to Herod several times and say, your marriage with Herodias is wrong. You have divorced your wife. She's divorced her husband, uh, which is your brother. And now you are in an uh, immoral marriage. You are going against the word of God. And John, knowing that Herod could kill him at any time he wanted, he still went and he spoke the truth of God. And that's just amazing to, to know that. Uh, so we saw the courage of John. And this morning, lastly, uh, we're going to see in the next nine verses the consequence of truth. So let's look at Mark chapter 6 and look at verse 20. Verse 20, it says, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and in holy, and observed him, and when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. And when a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee, and when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod, and then that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever, Thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he sware unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it to thee, unto the half of my kingdom. And she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway with haste unto the king, and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. And the king was exceeding sorry. Yet for his oath's sake, and for their sakes, which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an execute, executioner, and commanded his head to be brought. And when he went and beheaded him in the prison, and brought his head in a charger, and gave it to the damsel, and the damsel gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse, and laid it in a tomb. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for the examples of godly men uh, that you placed in the Bible that has stood firm on the truth of God, no matter what the cost may be. I pray, Lord, that you'll help each Christian here this morning uh, to have courage to stand for the truth of God in a world that's gone crazy, and a world that has just been continually rejecting you. I pray that you'll help each of us to stand fast on the truth of God. We thank you, Lord, for the word of God. We thank you that you've not left us clueless. You've shown us what you want us to know. I pray, Lord, that uh, you'll just help us to, to rely on the Holy Spirit's power to give us courage uh, to face this evil world. And I again pray that you'll be with those lost souls that are in our midst this morning. That today, they would, uh, today would be the day of salvation. Today that they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved and know that they have eternal life. I pray, Lord, that you'll just be with me and help me to say exactly what you want me to say. Uh, get me out of the way. And I pray that you'll just be honored and glorified in everything uh, that I say. And, Lord, I just thank you so much for your son. I thank you for Christ, uh, for your grace and your mercy and your love that you show on us every single day and that you will show on us for eternity. And I pray, Lord, that you'll just be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It was Adrian Rogers that said that it is better to be divided by truth than to be united in error. Amen. He said, 
To, it's better to speak the truth that hurts and then heals than to speak falsehoods that comforts and then kills. It's better to be hated for telling the truth than to be loved for telling a lie. It's better to stand alone with the truth than to be wrong with the multitude. And he said it is better to ultimately succeed with the truth than to temporarily succeed with a lie. And John the Baptist, he is an example to us in this. He stood for the truth of God, even when he knew there could be earthly consequences that would come with it. And truly, those that stand for the truth of God in our day, they will be hated by wicked men. They will have to divide themselves from many people. They will have to speak words which may hurt, but are ever so necessary. They will seemingly stand alone in this world, and they may even be seen by the world as failures or fools, but they will ultimately be seen by God as a success because they were faithful to the word of God. A church in our text, we see that when one is careless in regards to one of God's laws, very soon the rest will go right out the window with it. Once you dethrone God and you become your own God, you're the one that makes the rules. You're the one that calls the shots. You're the one that, that just does as they please. And that's exactly what we find with Herod and Herodias. We find two people that defied the laws of God little by little by little until they finally became their own gods and did whatever they wanted to do and it did not matter what God said. And church, that's much like our culture today. So let's begin digging in here by looking at verse 20 again. Look at verse 20. It says, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and in holy, and observed him, and when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. And we know Herodias hated John, right? We saw that last week, and she hated him so much, she wanted to kill him. But the opposite was true of Herod. He had some semblance of a conscience still remaining. He treated John unlike any other prisoner uh, in this uh, place, for sure. He knew, according to Scripture, that John was a just man, and that he was holy. Look, he had a great testimony with Herod. Herod knew, man, something is different about this man. He's not like all the other prisoners in this place. And the Bible tells us that Herod, as a result of this, he feared him, in verse 20. Well, that means that he revered him, he reverenced him. This is actually the same word that Paul uses in Ephesians when he calls wives to revere their husband. And this this uh, fearing, this respecting, this reverence uh, of Herod to John, the verb tense here shows us that Herod was in a continual state of reverence towards John. Uh, Herod also, he protected him from prison. Look at what scripture says in verse 20 again. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was in just man and in holy, and look what it says there, and he observed him. What does observed mean? It means that he preserved him. This means that he protected him. He didn't let anything bad happen to him. He was protecting him from maybe the prisoners, most likely also Herodias. But above all, Herod also visited him in prison. We're told here that he heard them, he heard him gladly. Look what it says, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Look, Herod would go in the prison to listen to John speak. He would, maybe he would ask questions, maybe he would ask him about his God and uh, consider what he had to say. If for some reason, uh, Herod was drawn to John, 
like a moth to a candle. Like, like King Agrippa was with Paul, he was very fascinated by John. So church, in this we know that the Herod was very clearly having a, a very large and, and great internal battle and a very large moral struggle. What should I do? Should I continue doing what I'm doing with Herodias? Uh, or should I let John go free? How should I handle this situation? But unfortunately, Herod's respect for John had never blossomed into repentance and he would end up letting his flesh win. And in fact, his sin with Herodias so clouded his judgment, it so clouded his morals, that he would ultimately end up doing that which he never wanted to do. Look at verse 21. In verse 21, it says, And when a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee. Now, uh, we know here that this says a convenient day. You gotta think, you gotta understand here, Herodias, she had been planning and scheming for the perfect time to kill John. She wanted him dead, couldn't figure out how to do it, but now it says that a, a strategic day, a convenient day, an opportune time had come. And it was Herod's birthday. And he was having this grand celebration with all the big wigs of his monarchy. And as he did, immorality and evil would be on full display for everyone to see. Look at verse 23. Or rather, verse 22. It says, and when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with them, the king said unto the damsel, ask of me whatsoever thou wilt and I will give it thee. The daughter of Herodias, she comes in this room and she uh, performs a dance for these men. That's the very likely that, that she was sent in by Herodias herself and how corrupt is that? Uh, but she danced with these men. And this dance that was around these uh, powerful men, it refers to a solo dance that was promiscuous and self-degrading. This would be the type of dance that only those with loose morals would ever dare to perform. And this actually was uh, uh, unheard of in this culture. This was not a normal thing. Uh, this is unprecedented. Uh, most Jews in this time, they would never allow this to happen. And even, in fact, even most Gentile mothers would forbid their daughters to do this, as pagan as they are. But here we see Herodias' daughter being put in this position. Now today, we know that this type of act may even be normal in our culture. It may be all over the internet, may be all over social media, but it doesn't matter. It's still a sin against God. Look, listen, to put yourself out there and to be immodest with your body as Herodias' daughter did, is not pleasing to God in any way, shape, or form. 1 Timothy 2.9, Paul wrote that a woman adorned themselves in modest apparel. So what was happening with Herodias' daughter, and what happens so often today, I want you to know, it is uh, a work of the flesh. It's not of God. Uh, it is not pleasing to God in any way. It is sinful, it is evil, and it is an affront to God. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 speaks to this. Look at verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5. And this just shows you the downward spiral of Herod and his family. And look at verse 16, Galatians chapter 5. It says in verse 16, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. 
But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. And look what it says in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Now I just want to stop right there. All of these things were on display with Herodias' daughter as she danced with, before these men. Fornication, it, ref, it really just refers to any sexual activity outside of marriage. Uncleanness is speaking to impurity. Lasciviousness is speaking of lewdness and sensuality and lacking moral restraints. And all of these things, church, fits the bill with what we find with Herodias' daughter and really what many people are doing today. But listen, this is not the characteristic of a saved person. Uh, and that needs to be said. I mean, in our culture, it's being more and more accepted, but it is a sin against God. Now, in fact, dancing and, and nakedness, for example, uh, was really connected many times in the Old Testament to idol worship. You think of Exodus chapter 32 when Moses came down on the mountain. He saw that. He was outraged. And God said, Moses, get down there and fix this. This is not okay. So this is really, uh, to do this is a, a, no doubt a characteristic of an unregenerate person, an unsaved person. So this provocative dancing, it, it only promotes lust in the heart and it dishonors God. But I want you to know, it wasn't just Herodias' daughter that was at fault here. It was also uh, very, it's also very important to understand that Herod was greatly at fault too and he was greatly sinning against the God of heaven as well. You know, to view such a thing privately as this is wicked and sinful as well. The Bible speaks of the fact that to look upon a woman and lust in your heart is a sin just as the sin of divorce. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaks on this. Matthew chapter 5, and look at verse 27. Jesus said, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So this is obviously a sin against God. What Herod was allowing to, to happen in his domain was a sin against God. And men, listen, this is why we must do, as David said, and commit to not putting any wicked thing before our eyes. This is why we must do, as Job did, and make a covenant with our eyes. And I'll tell you what, this is just a bonus for you. If that requires getting rid of your cell phone or your laptop or your television, so be it. You cannot allow such corruption in your home. Many of us here would probably be better off doing so. We cannot allow such wickedness in our mind, in our heart, because it is corrupt. It is a work of the flesh. It is not uh, that. Uh, it's not a characteristic of a saved person. So while putting yourself out there to be seen in this way, as we see with Herodias' daughter, is almost normal now, it's still an affront to God. It's still a sin. While privately viewing such immorality is very accessible and accepted in our society today, it should not be done by any follower of Christ. But we see in our text, while this, uh, this immoral spectacle uh, continues on here, I want you to again take note of the downward spiral that we're seeing with Herod and Herodias. First, they divorced their, their spouse, right? They decided, okay, we're going to get divorced so that we can marry each other. And now here it is, Herodias most likely sent her own daughter in this room full of drunken men. No doubt they were drunk because this was a drunken party. Uh, and she sent them in there to dance like an animal in a zoo. One sin is leading to another, and guess what? According to Scripture, Herod loved it. Let's go back and look at Mark chapter 6. And look again at the latter part of verse 22. 
He loved it so much that he said, look, I'm going to give you whatever you want, up to half of what I possess. Look at verse 22 again. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod, and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he swore unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it to thee unto the half of my kingdom. So Herodias' plan, after this convenient time has come together, Herod, again, he was likely in a, a drunken state, maybe not really understanding what he was even doing here. Uh, he told the daughter of Herodias, just, look, just tell me what you want, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you at whatever cost, just up to half of my kingdom. And then she goes to her mother to find out what she should do. Look at verse 24. It says, And she went forth and asked unto her mother, Mother, what shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charge of the head of John the Baptist. So Herodias Go, Herodias' daughter goes to Herodias and she says, hey, what should I ask of Herod? And by the way, when she asked her, her mother this, she was asking her, what should I ask Herod for myself? <laughs> right? What, should, what, what can I gain from this? Uh, she asked her mother. But her bloodthirsty mother had one thing on her mind and that was John the Baptist because she wanted him dead because he had the audacity to tell her that she was sinning against God. And Herodias like Jezebel hated the truth of God so much that she was moved with malice towards John, just as Jezebel was uh, towards Elijah in 2 Kings. So Herodias, is, uh, Herodias told her daughter, hey, listen, go and immediately go to Herod and demand that he put the head of John the Baptist on a charger, which was just simply a platter. And when Herod heard these words, he knew that his drunken tongue had gotten him into a terrible situation, and he was devastated. Look at verse 26. And the king was exceeding sorry. Yet for his own oath's sake, and for their sakes which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head in the charger and gave it to the damsel. And the damsel gave it to her mother. We're told in verse 26 here that Herod was exceeding sorry. This means that he was greatly distressed. Herod had indirectly promised to murder the prophet that he so much feared and he so well respected. And he did it because he would not reject her. He would not nullify uh, the promise that he had made. But listen, he was not sorry enough. He was sorry for what he had said, but he was not sorry enough. You understand that uh, Herod could have told Herodias' daughter that he promised her a gift, not a crime against God. But he didn't do that for the sake of those that were around him. He did not have a backbone enough to say, no, I'm not going to do that. He didn't care about the truth of God enough to deny her of this promise. And despite his emotional attachment to John, Herod had silenced God and he did not care about his law anyway. You consider this fact, church, that for Herod already, all morality had gone out the window. Right? I mean, he's already divorced his wife. He's already remarried. He's already had this dance and he's already in a drunken state. He probably thought... What's one more sin? Who cares? What's that matter? Who cares if I kill John the Baptist? And Herod caved. And he did evil against God's man. And church, listen, I want you to hear this. As he does this, he stands in pathetic contrast to John. Because listen, John did not play to the crowds. 
John did not cave to the pressures of wicked people around him. He stood firm on the truth of God, but Herod did cave. And in this tangled web of sin, we see how Herod and him taking his brother's wife led to the sin of watching this indecent dance of Herodias' daughter, which then led to the murder of John. And listen, church, once you begin on the downward spiral of sin, there's no telling where it will take you. There's no telling where you will go. I don't know who said it, but one person said, if you give Satan an inch, he will take a mile. And that's so true. Once you reject one of God's laws, it will not be long before you reject another and another and another until you finally reject God completely and you decide to do whatever is right in your own eyes. And this is what Herod did. He became his own God. The church today, to become one's own God, we know it, it was not new in Herod's day. It's very prevalent in our day. We really do live in the same world that we did many, many years ago. Let's go to Judges chapter 17. Judges chapter 17. And look at verse 6. This is how Herod lived his life. And look at verse 6 of Judges 17. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You know, that singular verse summarizes the spiritual state of Israel during the entire Judges period, really. And honestly, it summarizes our modern culture today, doesn't it? You know, Israel, they should have recognized the Lord as their king. Israel should have said, whatever God says that we are to do, we're going to do. Israel should have allowed the, the law of God to have the preeminence. But instead, they rejected him as their king. And then everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. People looked at, to really, to themselves to guide them in morality and ethics. They had the mindset of Herodias and many people today. No God is going to tell me what to do. That's how they felt. And really, church, you could say this is very much like the modern follow-your-heart thinking today. You know, a lot of lost people, that's what they say. Well, you know, just, just follow your heart. Many people in our modern culture, they regard this as the ideal state of society. But I want you to know this morning that no lost person should ever follow their hearts. None. I mean, why? Well, what does the Bible say? It says the heart is deceitful and above all things. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? What did Jesus say? He said, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemy. So tell me this. Should the hearts and desires of the flesh and lost people be followed? No way. Listen, church, the leading of God's spirit and what we find in the word of God is what needs to be followed. You just consider this this morning. If I brought somebody to you and I said, hey, look, this man here, he's the most evil person that I know. He deceives people all the time. He's unpredictable. You never really know what he's up to. He's often thinking evil thoughts. He's murdered some people. He often commits adultery and fornication. He steals. He lies about other people. He slanders everyone he knows. He's verbally abusive. But anyway, I want you to follow him around and just do whatever he says. For a while, because I think that you can trust him. What do you think you'd say to that? You know what you'd do? You would run the other way. You would not follow him for a second, because to follow such a man would be utter foolishness. And listen, church, so it is to follow a wicked heart. 
So it is to do what's right in our own eyes instead of what's right in the eyes of God. And there are so many people following their evil heart and remaining lost in their sins instead of following Christ. And listen, if that's you this morning, you need to repent and turn to Christ. You need to follow God. And Christian, we too must follow God. When we follow God, better things are going to happen. Good things are going to happen for us. we have eternal life when we follow God. We have uh, spiritual help when we follow God. But when we do that which is right in our own eyes, destruction comes. Go to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. And look at what it says in verse 12. It says in verse 12, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways. Of death. You know, often as people walk this sort of life, there is a particular path that may seem right. You know, the path of the world may promise happiness, they may promise pleasure and power, but when we go down that road, listen, church, the end is always destruction. Always. Whenever you get away from the Word of God, destruction always follows. And you know, the Bible. It's full of examples of those that did that which was right in their own eyes. And bad things happened. For, I mean, for one, you, th- you think of the fact that it seemed right in the eyes of Adam and Eve to eat of that forbidden fruit. But God said it was wrong. And as a result, here we have sin has entered the world. It seemed right in the eyes of Nadab and Abihu to offer strange fire before the Lord. But God said it was wrong. It seemed right to the eyes of King David to commit adultery with Bathsheba and to cover it up with murder. But God said it was wrong, and you look at the pain that followed him for years. It seemed right to the eyes of Judas to betray Jesus Christ. But look what happened. The, the, the promises of sin never come to pass. All of those acts brought pain, suffering, and evil upon those that did it. And this shows us very clearly that we cannot trust our own examination and our own judgment. In order to truly know what is right, we need to look to God for His wisdom as it is revealed to us in His Word. And while doing these things, doing things our own way, brings us death, guess what the Word of God brings us? It brings us life. Psalm 119 verse uh, verse 25 says, I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. Which means, with them thou hast given me life. With them you have revived me. Hey listen, there are some Christians, probably in this church right now, you feel spiritually dead. You say, I need a revival. Then get in the word of God. Start reading the Bible. Start taking the things of God seriously and you will have spiritual revival. It's only through the words of God that we have spiritual life. It's only through His words that we know how to live. You know, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And you know, even when we face physical death, Scripture gives us spiritual life. And it gave John spiritual life. As John the Baptist stood for the truth of God and it cost him his life, you know what? He would enter the glorious presence of God. And ultimately... Despite seeming to have been defeated here on earth, in the end, he was victorious. Let's go back to Mark chapter 6 and look at verse 29. Mark chapter 6, verse 29. 
John was dead, all seems lost. It's a sad occasion. Look at verse 29. And when his disciples heard of it, of his death, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Matthew 14 informs us that when the disciples heard this news, and he gives us additional details, uh, and it tells us that the disciples told Jesus Christ about this. And no doubt, the reports of John's death would deeply stir Jesus Christ because he knew, church, that one day his own life would be laid down for the sins of many. And, and by the way, the same Herod that killed John would be the one that would stand, that Jesus Christ would stand before on trial before he was handed off to Pilate prior to his crucifixion. And listen, church, Jesus knew all of this. He knew all of this. So you can imagine how stirred he would have been to think about the death of John the Baptist, knowing what was to come for himself. Because Christ knew his mission on earth was to seek and to save that which was lost. He knew that he would need to die, he would need to be buried and, and rise again in order to give spiritual life to all that believed. I want you to consider this morning, forget about everything else that's going on. Do you have spiritual life? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you saved? You may be one of the people here this morning in our midst that are spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. You are not born again. You do not have a new heart. You do not have the Holy Spirit of God in your life. You are in darkness and you are without hope. And you come to church week after week after week and you live your life in rejection to Christ. And as you do that, I want you to understand that you are inching closer and closer and closer to destruction every single day. But I, I beg you, get off that path and run to Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ, we are without hope. You must understand this morning that on your own, as you stand before God, a holy and perfect God, He cannot even look at you. He cannot even look upon you because you are so full of wickedness and sin and you're so vile. He cannot have any part with you. Our sin separates us from a holy and perfect God forever. And if you stay in the state that you are in, you are going to be eternally damned. And this is no place for anybody to be. And you'd say, well, how could God do this? Well, listen, God's not doing this. He has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for your sins. Jesus Christ came down to earth. He lived a perfect and sinless life so that you could be saved. The Bible tells us that you must call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. Trust on Christ. Don't trust Listen, do not trust in your church attendance to get you to heaven. Because if that's what you're trusting in, you will wake up in hell. Do not trust in putting money in the offering box. Or donating to charity. Or teaching a Sunday school class. Or uh, ministering to some, in some way in this church to get you to heaven. Because all of those works are as filthy rags if you are not saved. It is only through Jesus Christ. Christ is the only way. He is, as Peter said... The only one that has the words of eternal life. So unbeliever, won't you get off the road of hell and onto the path of eternal life today? Won't you stop trusting in your works and trust on Jesus Christ? Some of you may be here this morning and say, man, I really hate it when you talk about this. This really bothers me. Well, if it bothers you, maybe you need to be born again. 
Maybe you need to be saved. And consider this morning, what is stopping you from trusting on Christ? What is stopping you? Whatever it is, I can assure you it's not worth it. Run to Christ. Fall on His marvelous grace. He died in your place. He took the wrath of God upon Himself so that you don't have to. Do not be like Herod and Herodias. Listen, they may have had their fun here on earth as all morality was cast aside, as they just did whatever was right in their own eyes. But as a result, destruction has been their story since death, and it will be for all of eternity. They are, no doubt, suffering in hell this very moment. Sure, they had power and promotion and pleasure here on earth as they rebelled against God, but as Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? But John, he was quite the opposite of Herod, wasn't he? John's soul right now is at rest with the Lord in heaven. Listen, which is true for you this morning? Does your soul belong to God? Is Christ your master? Is he your king? Have you turned from sin and turned to Christ? John did. And now he's rejoicing in heaven with the angels. And not only that, his godly legacy lives on because of John's, in part, to John's dedication to the truth of God. When Jesus made his assessment of John in Matthew 11, you know what he said? He said, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. And you know, as I was considering this text, I got thinking, I want you to consider this as well, child of God. I got thinking about this. What would Christ say of me? Think about this. If Christ were to evaluate your life right now and how well you cling to the truth of God and His Word, would He have much good to say of you? Could Christ say of you that you loved His Word? Could Christ say of you that you elevated above the opinions of men? Could He say of you that you stand for His truth even among wicked people? Could He say of you that you shine the light of the gospel in the midst of a dark and perverse world. Could he say of you, they love me, they love my word, they cling to the truth, they're not worried about what evil may be done to them, they constantly seek to live in obedience to me and my word. Hey, listen, church, if Christ could not say that of you now, I urge you to start having a higher view of Scripture today. Make today the day where you choose to give the word of God the preeminence in your life. It's unfortunate that the majority of Christians in churches today, the Bible and, his, and the word of God and the things of God, they're just kind of like a side thing. They're just kind of like an accessory that we add on to our life. No, that's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is where you take up your cross and you follow Christ. You make God the Lord of your life. You make him king of your hearts. May we all be more like John and less like Herod. May we seek to be just and holy and stand firm on the truth of God and never seek to displease the majority, but seek to please the Almighty God. Listen, I want this church always, no matter what, to be unconcerned with the opinions of culture and desperately concerned about the truth of God. Amen. I, don't, I don't want, we don't need to go out and do studies about what, what the world wants. No, no, we need, to, we need to study the word of God to find out what does he want. What does he want with this church? What does he want us to do? 
I like the words of Paul Washer. He said the church must seek to be biblical rather than relevant. He said we're not going to leave a mark upon our culture because we have studied its ways and adapted ourselves to it, but rather we are relevant when we reject the world outright and are its polar opposite. He also said that this present darkness provides a great opportunity for the church to be the salt of the earth, but if we mix with the very impurities we are supposed to expose, then we are as useless as our culture believes us already to be. Hey, listen, church. We don't need to be a dark darkness dwelling in darkness. We need to be a light shining in darkness. We must shine the truth of Christ at all costs. We need to be uncompromising in the word of God, regardless of what our society accepts, regardless of what they push us to accept. We cannot cave to the pressures of men, but rather stand firm on the truth of God. And I don't know what that looks like for everybody here, but may we in every area of our life stand firm on the truth of God. I mentioned last week the world is getting more evil every day. It's not getting any better. America is not becoming a more righteous nation as the days go on. It's becoming more and more wicked, more and more in rebellion against God. But God's people need to stand firm and say, no, no, I don't care what they say. I care what this says. I'm going to cling to the truth of God. I'm going to love the word of God. I'm going to study the word of God. I'm, going to, I'm just going to make it my life. Stand firm on the truth of God, Christian. Don't do whatever, what many people are doing and falling away and following after the things of the world. Follow after the things of God. Get your worldview from the Bible. Stand fast on the word of God. Let's bow our heads this morning.